I think it still stacks up favor favorably for the Rockets. Obviously, it's a challenge, and it's exhausting for players like PJ Tucker, who spends a lot of time at the five, and he's only six five, but he's a dog on defense, and he embraces that challenge, and he he really loves it. <laughs> That was Houston Rockets sideline reporter Kaylee Griffin talking about how the Houston Rockets stack up against the other elite teams in the West after going all in on small ball. In this episode, we talk more with Kaylee about Houston's small ball experiment and her journey to becoming a sideline reporter in the NBA. But first, my co-host Pav and I, Doc, have a heated debate about Ben Simmons and whether the 76ers should build around him. This is Outside the Zone. Welcome to Outside the Zone. As always, I'm your co-host, Pav, along with my beautiful friend here, Doc. Doc, how's it going? Wow, thanks for the compliment, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm doing well. You know, your your compliment there really boosted up my day. And I mean, have you heard the news? Kanye is running for president. What? 2020 just gets crazier every day, I swear. Yeah, things are getting crazy. Although we would love to talk about Kanye and his potential running mate, Elon Musk. We're <laughs> going we're gonna to we're gonna stick to basketball here. So Yeah, I mean, we had a great debate on our last podcast with Alex Kennedy. It really got intense when we talked about Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and that debate. And I know a lot of fans really get irked and involved in that. So we wanted to do a full podcast about that. Have a little bit of mini pod, have a debate with you, because... Obviously, we both disagree on Ben Simmons and his potential and his impact and his value to the league. So we're going to get in right into it. We're going to go and we're going to really show our cases. I know last time we had the start. So, yeah, I think we got to set some boundaries first. We're going to talk about Ben Simmons. Is he someone that Philly should build around instead of Joel Embiid? Is he a superstar in this league? Is he someone that maybe they need to work with alongside Joel Embiid and just anything about your thoughts on that. I'm going to let you take the floor first. Go ahead. Yeah. Good intro right there. Just going back to our last podcast with Alex, I know feelings got hurt. Punches got thrown, but we are here. We made it. So hopefully we can, you know, be a little less aggressive and violent, you know, compared to last it's, time. It's, but it's great that Alex and I really destroyed you on that debate last week. Oh, I don't know about that. I think the fans disagree with that sentiment as well. I think it was, you know, Alex had some good points, you, eh, but I think for the most part, I more than, well, uh, I more than held my own in that. So getting into this now, getting into the second part of what you said in terms of superstars, I'm going to preface by saying this. I don't see Ben Simmons or Joel Embiid as a superstar in this league right now. And I, I think that comes down to what, the definition of superstar means. I know it changes for everyone. There are people in this, you know, that cover the sport that say, listen, there are 50 players in the league that I can consider superstar guys like Chris Middleton and Zach Levine are superstars. (laughs) And exactly. So for, for me, a superstar is someone who, who pretty much can, you know, lead my team to the playoffs every single year. So for me, there may be like, five to seven or eight guys in the NBA that I designate that to. And I don't consider Ben or Embiid as a top seven or eight player in the league. And I think you agree with me on that, right? Yeah. I mean, I think if we're talking about the LeBrons, the Kawhis, 
the Steph Curry's, James Harden's, Giannis, then that's a league of its own. But I think if you're going to include players like Dame Lillard, Jimmy Butler, Paul George, those players that still can take their team to the playoffs every year, but aren't the LeBron level of superstar, I think Ben Simmons would qualify in that level of, and in my definition, I would say that is a superstar, superstar, but I know people like you have more specific definitions of that. That's fair. And I think that's a fair tier to put honestly, both of them in. I think, you know, guys like Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and, you know, Embiid and Ben Simmons are really good players, all-stars, you know, pretty much every year, but, uh, you know, but I guess we just disagree on whether to classify them as superstars or not. But back to the larger debate at hand. For me, I look at it like this. Ben Simmons just cannot shoot. And I think being a point guard in this league, I think you need to have some semblance of a shot. So the fact that he's you know not willing to shoot, he doesn't have the ability to. And even if you look at his shot chart, there's... He, he doesn't even take mid-range shots either. He only takes shots in the paint. It just clogs everything up so much. And listen, I understand he he is an elite finisher in the paint. He's elite on transition offense. In my opinion, probably a top three transitional player on offense. And defensively, he's probably the best defensive guard in the NBA. I think we agree with I think yeah, you agree with that. He can guard all five positions. So... He's elite defensively. He's an elite passer, elite distributor, but he just he just really clogs everything up on on uh, offense. And last year against the against the Brooklyn Nets in the playoffs, and the year before against the Celtics, he got benched in the fourth quarter because you know play slows down, and you can't you know transition offense isn't there as much anymore. It's more half court, and he was just clogging you know clogging up the offense so much that it really you know, took away from what they were able to do on that end, end of the floor, even though he's such a plus on the defensive end. So for me, you just can't build around it. You, you can't, you can't build around a guy that you don't know if he can be there for you in the fourth quarter in the most, in, in the most important games of the season. And listen, Embiid, he can shoot. He right now he's shooting 35% from the, from the three point line this season. That's a really good number. That's a pretty good number for any player in the league. That's solid. But for a center, that's even better. So, you know, he can at least, you know, shoot mid-range. He can definitely shoot three-pointers. And listen, he can get his bucket anytime, too. Last year, he was averaging over 27 points per game, and he shoots pretty efficiently as well. So, and defensively, too, he's a very good rim protector. Frankly, the value of a defensive big is just more valuable to a team than, a, you know, um, a guard because of the protection that they can have over the rim So and how they can alter so many shots. So for me, Embiid's just the guy you have to build around because of the limitations Ben Simmons has. Right. I mean, I think when I show my taste for Ben Simmons, it's nowhere near a, a deficit on Joel Embiid's record. Joel Embiid is undoubtedly a superstar. And that's not the point of what we're trying to do here. The point of what I'm trying to do here is show that Ben Simmons belongs up there, too. I guess before I get into more Ben Simmons talk, the big debate around that about if you had to choose one to build around and I don't think they should choose one. I think they could I think they could work it out with both. They were oh, one I lucky agree. bounce away from making potentially the NBA finals l- last year if they would have beaten the Bucks. Two the, they were one potential bounce for being the eventual NBA champions is what I mean. So it it could work. I mean, yeah, they had Jimmy Butler, but that debate about if they had to choose one would be more around health and Joel Embiid's injury concerns in my opinion. But back to Ben Simmons, you say that you can't build around him, but they haven't built around him. How can you definitively say that you can't build around this guy when they literally haven't built around him? They put, they have a guy whose game is, as you said, one of the best transition weapons in the league, one of the best defensive players in the league, one of the best running gun style 
players in the league and players have shown they not every player is perfect. Not every player can do every single thing. This guy. Yeah. Shooting is important in today's league. And I'm not saying that no Ben Simmons supporter is going to say he's a good shooter. Like we get it. He's not a good shooter. He doesn't shoot the three, but they, they put around him slow players in Al Horford, not, not running gun players. Like they, they, change the team around Joel Embiid and they have a running gun guy that doesn't play with that style. And you can't, you can't say that they haven't built They can't build around him when there's no proof of that. It, when Joel Embiid hasn't played, Ben Simmons ha- has played faster. He's put up more points. He's been more efficient. Yeah. It's not in the fourth quarter when the game slows down, but he showed when the game is going around his style, he's been very, very, very successful. And I'm just going to pull up some stats here. In the nine games this season when Embiid, when Embiid went down, uh, when Embiid had his injury, Ben averaged 21.6 points, 9.3 rebounds, 7.9 assists, and they went they went 6-3 and three in those games. Like, that is really good and shows that with a different style, they can play. And again, that's not with players like running gun shooters, three-point shooters. That's with the team that was built around Al Horford, Tobias Harris, players that you can't you can't say are the fastest uh, running gun players in our league. And despite that, all people talk about is his is what he can't do. What about what he can do? You even made the plug for me. How good he is on every other aspect of the game, just because one thing and he's still proven to be a positive player and not just mildly positive, positive all star level, despite that capabilities. Why does that why does that cut off his potential? He's he's enabled unable to shoot right but that's despite not having anyone beside him that compliments that other than like he has a superstar in Embiid that he can play off of but imagine if he had his his incapabilities built around that is what that is my case for Ben Simmons if they actually played off his incapabilities right now they're just like he can't shoot whatever he's good enough to do it what if they were like he can't shoot let's fill those holes that is when Ben Simmons game will go to the next level. And I think that's what they, yeah, that's a fair point. So they, the team they had a couple years ago was built around Embiid and Ben Simmons. And I think, you know, when you say they brought in guys like Al Horford and Tobias Harris, who I agree are not good fits next to Ben Simmons at the same time too, they are not good fits next to Joel Embiid as well. The guys that I think you mentioned that would be great around Ben Simmons are guys that would also be great around Joel Embiid. The way that they play, like especially when Embiid wants just back, you know, back down in the paint and just you know post up. Those are the same guys that you. So I agree with you 100% when you say they have not built correctly around Ben Simmons because they haven't built correctly around either of the two players. And if you have two players that are just that good, and then you surround them with guys like Al Horford, who is you know older, and Tobias Harris, who's not the fastest guy. It just really hurts them both, in my opinion. But back to Ben Simmons. So two years ago, they had the team where they had, you know, guys like let me, JJ let me Redick. I mean, I agree. I Ben Simmons is right now the one who I'm blaming for is not the guy from two years ago. You keep talking, oh, last year he got did this. Two years ago he did this. You can't the improvement that you've had this past season is astronomical. The dude is now a walking triple double when he plays with the spread floor and only one man to beat. He's unstoppable. Nobody can beat him. Like that's not what he was even two years ago. If you just look at the numbers, though, the numbers are very similar. 
the points per game have barely gone up since two years ago. The rebounds are about the same and the assists have actually, the assists are literally the same as they were two years ago. So yeah, I agree. Ben Simmons has gotten better in the two years, but I don't think he's gotten astronomically better. I think defensively, he's definitely gotten better, things like that. But on offense, I don't think there's been that right. much of an And that's why you can't just look at those numbers. you got to see his defensive. you got to watch these games. you got to yeah, know that when, when his defense is going, it's helping his transitional game. That is the, one of the biggest parts. And stuff like that is is so much beyond the stats. You you can't have seen Ben Simmons' game last year to this season and say it's not a big improvement. Transitional. Okay. We, I agree with you on defense. I was the one that brought up his defense. I agree with you defensively he's as elite as they come okay transitionally again i even said he's a top three offensive player in transition i agree with you there i'm talking about purely half court offense and in half court offense i have not seen the improvement yes there maybe he's gotten i'm sure he's gotten a little bit better in the past two three years but there hasn't been this astronomical improvement in his half court offense game right and, i mean i'm not I, saying and, that yeah and that's the thing so is it ever going to get better because because normally you see players really improve in their second, you know, in their second to third seasons. And I'm not seeing any improvement from a shooting wise, not even mid range, because he still doesn't take he, he he just is unwilling to take mid range shots. And that's where this issue comes down to. And you so you can't just say, listen, that was two years ago. That was one year ago when he got benched. He he got benched for the same limitations that he still has now. He wasn't being benched because of his transitional game on offense. He wasn't being benched because of his defensive prowess then. Those are still skills of his now and still the things that make him a great player and an all-star. He so The same limitations are in place and those limitations have not – I'm sure they've been worked on but we're not seeing that improvement in games. And that that's where this issue goes down to. So you can't just, you know, forget about what happened before. Right. I mean, he's still 23 years old. And yeah, like I yeah. said, if his half court offense will improve once you give him people that a half court offense works with, with a player, a point guard that can't shoot. Like so two, two years they, ago, they, they have can't just accept that there's a flaw in his game and not do anything about it. Like, I, I, I'm not saying he's LeBron James. I can do everything like they got he's when they do that and they build around him and they allow him to succeed. They, he will be better at half court offense. You, like, you don't see that. Oh, I mean, I, listen, I think he will be better if you if you build around a player, they're going to get better. If you put him around shooters, I 100 percent he will be better. So t- but two years ago. They had guys like J.J. Redick. They had Tobias – or not Tobias Harris. They had Dario Saric, right? So those are two guys, pretty good shooters. Dario Saric, stretch four. So, you know, good for that team. That was a really good team. Like, they did really well in the playoffs. If you look at their offensive ratings, they were one of the best in the NBA. So it it, it can work. And you're right. When they build around Simmons and Embiid, they, there are results there that it, it can work. You know, they didn't make it far in the playoffs, obviously. But there is success there. But even if you build around him, I – I, I just don't know if he can be the guy who's when it's when it's crunch time in the playoffs and the game slows down. And even if you have shooters around him, I'm not confident that you can just give him the ball and be like, all right, we need a bucket. Go get it. Are you not yet? But that's not a, like that's not a the point of this. Like, so far, everything that Ben Simmons has done. He hasn't been able to be that like, oh, I'm going to go get a bucket with a minute, like a 30, three seconds on the clock. He's never been that guy. And despite that, I'm still saying we're still saying all this praise for him. Like that's it's just that that's good just in the added other stuff yeah. to his game that can bring him to that top tier superstar. But like even just 
despite that, he's so productive and so efficient and everything. And that's kind of what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I'm not debating that he needs to figure that out if he wants to be the main guy winning a championship. Like he needs to figure that out. And if he doesn't, then then what? And and let's and let's go. I mean, you still have guys like Steph Curry, Steph. Like you still have guys like Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis is probably not going to be the main guy winning a championship, but with LeBron, Anthony Davis becomes the next level. Kyrie Irving, stuff like that. Like, oh, so what? These guys are Anthony Davis is still a top five, six player in the NBA. But you're okay. The difference is like Kyrie Irving, right? You bring up Kyrie Irving, okay? LeBron built around LeBron or Cleveland built around <laughs> LeBron James and LeBron built around LeBron James too. Yeah. Right. So as the coach and the GM and the owner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you don't, you don't build around like even the Lakers, the Lakers, the guys they're bringing in are guys, you know, that they bring in to help LeBron. Right. So, and if you're saying Ben Simmons is like the Anthony Davis of a championship team or the Kyrie Irving, you're telling me he's the second best player on that team. Right. So then wouldn't you want to build around the best player on the team. Cause that's the guy who's going to get it done for you. And then Joel Embiid agreed. But look at this Kyrie Irving sucked at defense, right? So they, they try to get players that could cover that for him. Like you, these guys have flaws, so you can't just well, ignore it. Like the, j- just because he's not the main guy, doesn't mean you still can't build a team around your second weapon. He's not, it's not like he's Kyle Korver sitting there. Like just like a, a role player. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And they've done a very poor job at building around him. So let's just look at the reality of this. Right. So I agree if, you know, if they could go back, have a mulligan on everything and take back the, you know, the trade for Tobias or the extension on him at least and take back the signing of Al Horford, I'm sure they would. But, you know, that's just not the reality. They can't do that. So they have to buy his Harris locked up for another four years after the season in four years. Oh, they're, pay, they're paying him. That's, that's gotta be the worst contract in the NBA right now. Right. Guess how much they're paying him, um, in the last season of that contract, 2023 to 2024. What is it like 39 million or something crazy? 40, basically 41 million. Oh God. So, and then Al Horford, 22 to 23, he's going to be getting paid around 27 million. So what can I say bring the, back Hanky. So, so the reality is, Elton Brandon Hardbeat would take back those deals, but he cannot at this point. And so you, you have to find a way to make it work. And I, I don't know, they're not going to, they're not going to trade away Tobias Harris. They need to, they need to trade for Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald wants out. I think that would be a perfect partner alongside Ben Simmons. That's exactly who he needs. Running gun, three point shooter, pull up. The Sacramento plays off ball. I mean, I don't know if Sacramento does that, but look, they have, what is Sacramento going to do to get to the next level? Like, Wow. Aaron Fox and Buddy Hield, it's getting them like they're both played amazing this year, and they it got them to what tenth well, place in the West right now. Like, well, Buddy Hield did not have the. I mean, Buddy Buddy Hield got benched this year. He didn't. Yeah, not he, have a he actually had an off year. But um, like I just think there's a cap there. Like they need to they need to figure something out. Like they need to shoot. I don't know. We've been having the. I feel like everyone's been having this conversation for decades about the Sacramento Kings. They've got to figure this out. <laughs> it's the same. I mean, they have more talent than they did what, like six, seven years ago. But yeah, it's it's a mess over there right now. So, listen, I don't know. I don't know how you get off the contracts of Tobias and Al Horford. So let's let's just say you cannot, right? Because that's hard to do. At that point, if you know Ben isn't going to work with those guys, what do you do? Then you do you okay? Then honestly, in that point, if you're gonna if you're stuck on keeping Al Horford and Tobias Harris, then fine, build around, build like go all in and on bead. Like Ben Simmons is not the point guard. Like if you have a team of those guys, like 
maybe get a point guard that is like a deadly three point shooter um, or something like that. Like Ben Simmons still has amazing value because I think if you trade Ben oh, yeah. Simmons, you'll like, get a lot back. Yeah. You, I, if I was a new GM with a bad team like the Suns or something like that, I would try. Like, I would honestly be like, okay, Ben Simmons is a guy we can build around him. Like we're starting fresh with this guy. We can put pieces around him. We can draft based on him and your team would actually work. Like, I don't know if Devin Booker for Ben Simmons is, is I don't know if the Suns will ever do that, but I'm putting if it. If I were the Suns, I would, I mean, I'm I would the too. Son Devin Booker. I would too. Actually, that'd be a good fit for him in Phoenix. I'm not going to lie. And you can Kelly like they can build around Ben. Like they have, they, if if they're stuck on those contracts, they gotta trade them. But I, I think a smart GM would figure it out and get rid of Tobias and Al. I don't know how, but and that's why I'm not a GM and I'm here doing this podcast. Yeah, maybe maybe one day, <laughs> maybe one day. I, I I just think for me the limitations are just so big for Ben Simmons that listen, even if you want to go in on Ben and let's say they didn't have all these issues with Al and and Tobias Harris, I just think you're basically betting on the fact that. Ben Simmons is going to develop some sort of, some sort of a shot. And at this point, I don't know if I'm, you know, putting all my chips in on that because I have not seen any improvement. And the other thing that scares me too, is when we had Alex Kennedy on the show, he even said that he sometimes questions the work ethic of Ben Simmons and it's not up there with Joel Embiid. So that, that scares right. me too. And Ben right. Simmons I mean, is not, I agree. Injuries I agree. Well. If, it's stupid to be like, oh, we're going to wait for him to get it, figure out his shot. Like, that's just stupid. The dude can't shoot. Like, they need a, a team that can use him despite his shot is a better fit for him. And he can become a real superstar as opposed to a team that will use him, like not use him to his full percent until they're waiting for a shot. You got you to gotta build around Ben. You can't have Ben build around you. It's just the way he is. I, I agree with that. You have to build around him. I just, I'm just very skeptical of the fact that if, if he can really be the guy, if he can be the best player in a championship team, I, I, I feel confident that Embiid can be that guy. I'm, I'm not that confident in Ben being that guy. So, right. I mean, before we, before we end this, isn't it crazy? Like this guy's 23 years old and we put all these insane pressure on this guy. Like these players, when they're 23, they're figuring out, they're like, they still don't know anything. And this, we already have like people already label him and say he can't win everything's all these all these things on him like i just that's got to be tough yeah i mean that's tough but then you also he's 23 right then you look at zion's what 19 and imagine the pressure on him right Lamelo, Lamelo already has so many oh, Lamelo's gonna have <laughs> oh it's gonna be insane for Lamelo. i can't even imagine all the pressure he i'm sure he had a lot of pressure in australia too playing in he's got to be the nbl oh yeah i'm yeah. sure he's used to it by now but it's just a different level in the nba Coming right up, we have a great interview with the sideline reporter for the Houston Rockets, Kaylee Griffin. Today, we are joined by Kaylee Griffin. You know her as the courtside reporter for the Houston Rockets on AT&T Sportsnet. Kaylee Griffin, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How have you been with the quarantine and everything? You staying safe? Staying safe, staying healthy, staying inside. Uh, when I need to, definitely have a mask on going when I need to get out. But um, for the most part, just trying to stay inside as much as possible. And hopefully, you know, most people are, are practicing that so we are able to get past this sooner rather than later. 
Right. I love that. It's very important. So thank you so much for your time. We really think you have an incredible story and you're a really big role model for a lot of people. Um, I know you've had an incredible path to where you are now from covering lacrosse to the Spurs G League, working up, working your way up the ladder from the Spurs to the Cavs and now to your position with the Rockets. I was wondering if you could share what you've learned through your journey. You're such a role model for not only aspiring sports reporters and especially women in sports. Yeah, I mean, uh, like you kind of mentioned, I've I've had a a quite a journey so far. Um, I just had my six year anniversary from graduating college. Feels it's kind of weird. It feels like it wasn't that long ago, but also thinking about mm-hmm. everything that's happened since, it does feel like it has been a while. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think anyone who's getting into this industry just needs to understand that it's a process and a journey and things don't just happen overnight. You know, you don't, you don't get those opportunities right when you leave college. And uh, despite, you know, having tons of internships while I was in school, I really struggled to find my first job. And I think that uh, my biggest message for students or recent grads or people just trying to get into the industry starting off is to not get discouraged because you know, it's a lot about timing and who you know and how you can get your foot in the door. And then it's about working hard and, and showing why you deserve to be there and what you can provide to to others and in your coverage. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I started off as a, a live stream PA at NBC Sports and kind of created a, a position at the Big East, which expanded to a lot more and that opened the door for me to land a job with the Spurs, which was just a huge break for me in terms of, you know, I didn't really think I was quite ready yet, but it was an opportunity for me that I obviously couldn't pass up when I was given the opportunity. And um, from then I I got a a position with the Cavs and then I really landed one of my dream jobs and with the Houston Rockets. So uh, I've been very fortunate, but it, has come with a lot of trials and tribulations as well. It's just it hasn't been an easy process. And, um, but I am, I'm so grateful for all of the opportunities I've had along the way that have led me to where I am right now. Thank you for sharing your story. And like you said, there are a lot of trials and tribulations, you know, a lot of peaks and valleys that go along in the process. So is there anything that you think like an experience or something, or like a mentor that you had that really helped set you up on this path to success? Um, I mean, I, I'm very fortunate to have really great relationships with a lot of people in the industry. Um, someone who I'm very close with, who is definitely a mentor and I consider a friend is Doris Burke. She also went to Providence College like I did, and she's been someone that I've been talking to since I was in college. And she's someone that I stay close contact with and um, call her for advice, questions I have, just sharing stories, what have you. And she's been really influential to me as I've continued on this path. Um, but for me personally, uh, oh, along the, the journey and along the jobs that I've had, there have been a lot of different experiences. That I think it's learning from each one. Uh, for me, when I moved to San Antonio, I was 20. I just turned, well, did I just try? I was 23 when I moved there. And, um, you know, I grew, grew up in the Northeast, lived in Connecticut, went to school in Rhode Island. You know, I went abroad in Australia. But other than that, I've been working in either Stanford or New York. So I was very familiar to being close to family and friends. And that was a huge leap of faith for me. And after two years there, um, they decided to just cut the position that I had. And it wasn't anything that I did. It was just uh, salary cuts and and cuts they were making. And it was a really eye-opening experience for me uh, because, 
it was very unexpected. I was 25 and unemployed and um, had been in a really stable position, felt really stable and was really caught off guard and had to figure out, you know, what I was going to do from there. I, I packed up and moved back home and freelanced over the summer back in New York and um, was very fortunate to have an opportunity to audition with the, the Cavs in Fox Sports Ohio and land a job out there. Um, but it, it didn't come without hard work and the connections I built and, and proving myself in the other places I'd been before them that led me to that opportunity. And I think, you know, as you progress in the industry, you take things from each stop that you have. All right. That's awesome advice. And looks like you've definitely experienced so many things that someone in sports gets to experience on that on their long road. Speaking of your role with the Cavs, we're both from Ohio. We've we became big fans of yours when you were covering Cleveland. And I know a lot of people and a lot of Cleveland fans really love the work you did. And we definitely miss you up here in Cleveland. Oh, thank you so much. I really love my time in Cleveland. Um, it was an awesome experience. I think Cleveland gets a little bit of bad rep, but I, I always tell that to people when I talk to them about it. I love living there. Uh, I love the city. Uh, I think maybe a lot of people haven't been there recently because I think the city is beautiful and they've done a great job there. And I really enjoyed my time with the Cavs, that organization. Um, it was run so differently than my time in San Antonio. So I had a lot more access, which is awesome for me to be able to build relationships with the players there. And, um, you know, I was hired at the same time as Angel Gray, the sideline reporter. And it was kind of could put us in a little bit of an awkward position just because there was not really a, a separation in some sorts, but we had the best relationship. She's still one of my closest friends. And I am so grateful for Cleveland for bringing us together and having that relationship. And it was very bittersweet for me to leave this past year, but um, the opportunity with Houston was just too, too good to pass up. And it was a role that I had hoped to get someday. And it, it just came sooner rather than later. So it was uh, definitely a hard decision to, to leave Cleveland, but uh, I'm grateful for my year there. That's awesome. I'm really happy for you. And that's just music to my ears hearing how you <laughs> praise Cleveland and you're not from there. Um, we don't hear that often, but I love that. And I'm going to share that with the world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not from Cleveland personally, so I, you know, don't share the same pride and everything in the city, but I know Pub just looking at his face right now, his face lit up when you started complimenting Cleveland. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, so we'll jump into, I know, obviously, so you work with Houston now, so we'll, we want to get your take on a couple of questions we had about the Rockets. How do you feel about the narrative that surrounds James Harden and Russell Westbrook and the notion that they're, you know, quote unquote, not winning players? Uh, I mean, I, I totally disagree with that, obviously. Um, you know, it, it was, they are both MVP players and have proven that in their respective cities leading up to this time now where they've been joined back together. Um, you know, I think right now, obviously, we have a winning record and um, they do everything and anything they can to win. They're both the first two and last two in and out of the gym. They have unbelievable work ethics. And I think that anybody that's been around both of those players kind of echoes that sentiment and that they are, they want to win and that's what their ultimate goal is. And that's why they decided to partner up again is because they both have that 
goal and that dream of, of winning an NBA championship and they want to do it together and they think they can do it together. And I, um, you know, this year has been a learning, a learning experience, I think, for both of them to try to learn each other's games and how they can best complement each other. And that's why they ultimately went small. And I think, you know, the team just needs a little more time to, to grow together. Um, but I think both of them are, are winners in their own respects individually and together they have that ultimate goal of winning and winning together like you said they're obviously two mvp winners and you know to even play at that level like you have to sacrifice so much the notion that they you know aren't committed to winning and things like that i think me and pav both agree that that's pretty pretty ridiculous but going back to your point when you referenced houston going all in on the small ball this year were you surprised when they traded capella for obviously the package that got them covington or was that something that was pretty much expected. Um, I wasn't too surprised because I think leading up to that trade, there was a lot of talk about it happening. Of course, we didn't know for sure, but it, it wasn't a secret that that was something that was being explored. And I know um, even leading into the season that Clint had been on the trade talks before that. So there were, this wasn't a, a complete surprise to everyone. Um, I think it was surprising to a lot of people on the outside because it really means committing to, to playing small, to playing six, six and below for the most time until they got Jeff Green, who's about six, eight. Um, so that's a, that's a huge commitment for our team to, to do and to, to commit to as they get closer to the playoffs. Um, but Daryl Morey and the staff and the coaching staff, they, they agree that it's the, it's the best way for this team to win and win now is to put James and Russ in the best situation. And, and Russell Westbrook, his, he's changed the entire style of play for this team this season. They went from last in pace to first or second consistently all season long in the league in terms of pace. And that has just a lot to do with Russell Westbrook and how he pushes the offense when he attacks in isolation, whether it's in the fast break or, or in the half court, he has the ability to get past anyone. And by playing small, you play four out and you allow either James or Russ to isolate and, and attack themselves or look for the open shooter. That's the way the Rockets play. That's their style. And of course, you know, if you do play big, you needed a guy like Clint who can run with the ball and is good in that pick and roll. And not a lot of players can play that way, especially at that size. So Clint was the best option for them in terms of a big man, but in terms of creating the most successful situations for James and Russell, this is the best way by allowing them to play in isolation or to kick out and find their teammates outside on the wing. Right. Like, I mean, the spacing that they get now, obviously, from having just basically five guys who can shoot is crazy and obviously improves with, um, you know, shipping out someone like Capella for a great shooter like Covington. But do you think this move came a couple years, maybe too late in the sense that obviously for Houston, the past couple of years, Golden State was their main rival in the West. Right. And Golden State, obviously, you know, brought the small ball revolution to the NBA, playing Draymond at the five. And now with Golden State not being a contender this year and having the Lakers with AD, obviously, in their front court and, you know, a team like Denver, who's who's also like the number three seed in the West, having Jokic as their best player. Do you think Houston still stacks up favorably against teams like that? Or do you think it'll be very difficult for them, especially on defense, to contend in the playoffs with teams like that? 
I think it still stacks up favor favorably for the Rockets. Um, obviously, it's a challenge and it's exhausting for players like PJ Tucker, who spends a lot of time at the five, and he's only six five, but he's a dog on defense and he embraces that challenge and he he really loves it. Um, Robert Covington as well. He he prides himself on his defensive game, and I think you know Jeff Green is was great for us when we got first got him and. and I think if if there's a scenario where they come back into a training camp, they're they're going to have more time to spend together playing together that they never even had before when all of these moves happened. Um, you think back right after that trade was ha- was made with Covington, the Rockets shocked everybody and came out and beat the Lakers in LA. So it's it's feasible. Yeah. And same with Denver. You know, I think the speed that this team provides, um, we haven't played Denver with this new look team, and I think they'll give. Jokic a lot of trouble by by forcing him to come and guard somebody outside by drag pulling him out um, that just provides James and Russ with open lanes and that's where they're most successful a lot of the time so um, I think it still stacks up quite favorably for the Rockets defensively of course it has their challenges um, and that's been emphasized since they went small is the the importance of boxing out and rebounding but they've also accepted that there is probably a good chance they're going to be out-rebounded in most of these scenarios. It's where they can pick it up in intensity defensively across other ways. And that's something that they've been striving to continue to build off of and work on is continuing to build, to bring that defensive intensity in other ways. As Pub and I both mentioned, we're huge Cavs fans. And obviously you had a chance to work and interact with Fred McLeod in Cleveland. So what do you think it was about him that made him just one of the rare media members to be beloved by not only his colleagues, but also, you know, players from and fans from like all teams in the NBA? I mean, Fred was an expert at his job. He he took his job so seriously and he was always so well prepared and well researched and always wanted to bring it to the next level and he did that every single night and to to be around him for that season was incredible I it's funny because I think of at practices um before games he would have I mean a like a I don't even I can't even describe to you how many papers but he had printed out hundreds hundreds I mean everyone used to joke that he was killing so many trees because he would have articles printed out and he'd be sitting there at practice or shoot around highlighting articles going there he was always the most well prepared at all times there's nothing that would get past Fred he knew everything he wanted to make sure he was perfect and, and it showed and he um you know obviously last year was the first year for Angel and I and he welcomed us in and with open arms and always made sure if we had any questions to sit and talk with us. He wanted to know what was going on with us in our lives and how he could help us. And if I was working on a feature for our pregame show, if I wanted to send it to him so he could, um, you know, provide us with some insight on, you know, things he would maybe change, things, how he could help it become better. And you don't always see that with people, but I know Fred Mm -hmm. um, was so well respected, not only in, Cleveland, but with all of his peers, um, it was truly an honor to have a chance to work with him and learn from him and to see how he worked on a daily basis. Just really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I mean, we just saw how beloved he was when all the tributes started coming in after obviously he tragically passed away. So 
We have one last question. So we typically end these episodes with an outside the zone question of the day, and it's normally hypothetical. So our question is, if in 1984, the Rockets selected Michael Jordan with the first overall pick instead of Hakeem, how many championships do you think Michael would have won in Houston? Oh, man. Uh, We're putting you on the spot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I mean, it it obviously then depends on where Hakeem goes. Um, building the team around Michael, I think then a lot of things changes. So it's hard to say. Um, you know, it depends on the supporting cast that they ended up building around him. But um, mm-hmm. it changes the dynamic of the team too because they, their big man was Hakeem. Um, so then the it, it so many things change. Um, I'd like to think that they'd still win at least the two championships that they have um, in that time frame, but. You never know, I guess. I, I think just a lot of it goes into what what team they would build around Michael because their star was a, a center and um, who they would fill in that spot uh, would be really interesting. Kaylee, we really appreciate all the advice and expertise. Um, it really seems like you have been a role model and an inspiration for so many people. And it's awesome to know what it's like knowing these players for more than just we get from Twitter. Thank you again so much for your time. We really appreciate having you on. And I think the fans would really appreciate your story. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Fans, we hope you enjoyed the show. Shout out to Kaylee Griffin for the great interview and make sure to follow her on Twitter at Kaylee Griffin. Also, tune into AT&T Sportsnet Southwest to watch her report on the Houston Rockets. As always, follow us on social media at OTZPod. This has been Outside the Zone.